Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the Survive and Drive podcast. Today, we are discussing the Italian Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. Yallo. So, Tyler, how did you feel about that race? I thought it was a fun one. Definitely very eventful. Um, you know, getting, getting to see a new driver is always fun, and a pretty mixed up order. I think that's been a theme the past couple of races and it's been a lot of fun to watch. How about you? Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, the weekend started off with a bang with, you know, the Nick DeVries announcement that he'd be driving in place of Albon. And so I think it definitely created some little bit of chaos there to start. And then from there, obviously we had a bunch of engine penalties and that's, you know, I know some people don't like them, but I think it's always good for the race because you do get more action in a race that might not have a ton of action. And it definitely allowed for uh, new people to potentially see the points and to see a few more battles between you know the people at the front of the pack and the people at the back yeah it'll be interesting going forward to see how much the penalties really affect the rest of the the lineups of the grid and I think it's been you know a pretty common thing something we definitely expected even uh, pretty early on in the season and now it's starting to take effect but we'll see once they once they once they start to you know expand their pools of of gearboxes and engines to select from then uh, hopefully we can have some more qualifying sessions that that are really final but uh, it is definitely a lot of fun to watch you know the likes of uh, Sainz, Hamilton, Perez, uh, Max last race out you know a lot of them coming through uh, the field is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah for sure so we'll start by going through the race order here uh, so we had Max finishing with the win uh, his 11th win of the season then we had Charles in P2, George rounding out the podium and then we had Signs Hamilton, Perez, Norris, Gasly, Nick DeVries, and Guangyu Zhou rounding out the points. And then we had Ocon, Mick, Bottas, Sonoda, Latifi, and Magnussen. And then we had four DNFs this race, uh, starting off with Sebastian Vettel, who uh, ended up pulling over and giving us a uh, virtual safety car. He had a, an ERS failure that we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, Alonzo ended up retiring after calling his DNF a little bit earlier in the race. Stroll ended up retiring as well, pulling into the pits and making it a double Aston Martin DNF. And Daniel Ricciardo, unfortunately, pulling off after riding in the points for what looked like one of his better races of the year. Yeah, I think Ricciardo, I think he had a great weekend. I think he obviously helped by, you know, being able to start a little further up because of all the penalties and stuff. Um, but, you know, held his own in the race, held position, obviously was the front of that DRS train for a while there, and but was able to keep pretty much pace with Norris. I know fin Norris finished ahead, but I think definitely his best race in a while and was a lock, I think, for P8 had he not had the engine failure. Yeah, kind of a lot of standout racers this weekend, and uh, we'll get into those a little bit later, but let's dive into how the race played out. And uh, even before that, you know, we can touch a little bit on qualifying. So obviously we had Nick DeVries, like you mentioned, uh, coming in and really right off the bat outpacing Latifi. Um, something I'd say you probably expected. Yeah, so a little, I mean, We'll get into it later. a little preview of the TV performance of the week, but um, it it was it was really tough to see for Latifi, right? This is I know we've made fun of it and poked fun at it all year, but I think this was you know with DeVries coming in, it was almost like all right, Latifi, this is your chance to like somewhat fight for your seat. Like we know you've been behind Albon all year, but like surely you should be able to outpace a guy who finds out an hour and a half before qualifying that he will be in place of Albon in qualifying. Uh, you know, he's in the middle of eating his breakfast, just in normal Mercedes reserve driver duty or whatever, and then gets totally going to be qualifying 
hops in the car. He was in a different car in free practice session in Aston Martin this weekend. So he hops in a new car. And then not only does he out-qualify Latifi, but he out-qualifies him by a mile. Like, he ends up getting way ahead. And obviously, because of the penalties and stuff, he ended up not finishing as far ahead, just the way that sorted out. But, like, it, it he had the fastest – every time Latifi crossed the line, DeVries would cross faster. And it just yeah. – it was – to me, it was really shocking to see someone who, again, found out an hour and a half before qualifying that he'd be driving that day in F1 – and his first qualifying ever to outpace the guy that's been with the team for years. Yeah, and, and not to take anything away from him, you know, a great driver. He won F2. He's won, you know, Formula E. And I think the main thing that, that people kind of forget about is that it's been a couple years since he's been in these racing series. And he's yeah. obviously kept with it, done uh, quite a handful of FP1 sessions with all kinds of different teams, which we saw some funny memes about uh, this weekend. But yeah, obviously able to come on and, and turn it on pretty quickly in qualifying and uh, make it through to, to Q2 and outpace Latifi, which was very impressive. Uh, another driver that made it out of Q1 that hasn't done so in quite some time was Daniel Ricciardo, which we mentioned earlier, and able to put it up into, into Q3, actually, and get some running then. Yeah, it was nice to see that. That was, you know, regardless of penalties, that was on full merit, him getting into P3, or Q3, which was pretty shocking to see because he's been a consistent q1 exit guy it seems like or if not you know q2 for sure but uh he was on the pace this weekend had good qualifying and just i don't I don't know he was i was surprised to see i thought for sure we have another incident where you'd have norris in the q3 you know comfortably in that p6 p7 range and you would have ricardo in p14 or whatever but he actually was on it this weekend yeah it was really nice to see and you know beyond that we had the likes of max starting down in seventh uh, we had DeVries ended up starting in eighth after penalties. Um, both of the Alpines kind of seemed to start a little bit lower, especially with the, the great qualifying from McLaren. So, yeah, uh, you know, tough start from them, tough qualifying session and uh, not able to do much in the race eventually either. Um, and then we had Hamilton and Sainz also starting from the back, Hamilton in 19th and Sainz starting in 18th. And Really a, a very different strategy from the both of them. I think, you know, in the race, Signs had a very aggressive start and a very aggressive, you know, first 10 laps getting up uh, through the rest of the field. And Hamilton kind of taking it slow. I think he only gained one place after, you know, a handful of laps and uh, ended up doing it really calculated uh, and making his way up through the field. Yeah, his was definitely a little slower. I think we had, I know on that first turn he ended up, having to go off just because of kind of getting pinched in mm-hmm. and so it kind of set him back there where he didn't really make up any places going into turn one but yeah, he took his time he, I think he was in 19th 18th for quite a few laps and then kind of towards the middle of that race after that first pit stop windows when we really started to see him charge through and ultimately show that he had better pace than you know everybody so he had finished in p5 but pretty much everybody below him he was quicker than the rest of the race and kind of was on pace with the top guys too once he got going yeah and I think that that slow start could be attributed to the fact that there was kind of question marks around if he caught damage from the uh, flying piece of Bottas's car after yeah. some contact with one of the Haas cars in the first lap so uh, you know glad that he was able to to keep it safe and, and get around safely and obviously make his way up through the grid um, but off the starting grid I mean we had a couple of interesting starting points to to get into we had Norris who just seemed like he couldn't get out of that grid spot. Yeah, that was tough. I know. I think they uh, ended up saying it was something with anti-stall, where the car basically like went into anti-stall, and so he couldn't get going. But uh, it did literally look like he just like didn't press the gas. Like he just sat there. Um, so that was tough to see. I don't, you know, 
I don't I don't know how hot if he would have been able to finish in the top six anyways, just given the pace of the those top three teams. But uh, definitely not a great start for him. I think he fell back to eighth or ninth right at the beginning. Uh, but a, a great run by George, I think, into that turn turn one, and we saw him challenge Leclerc there and uh, and didn't end up getting past him. But he kind of kept up with him and kept pace for you know that first couple of laps before he started to to fall down. But yeah, it was good to see, and he was able to really keep the pace on Leclerc. It didn't seem like he was falling back as fast as maybe it was expected to. And uh, even after Max got up and, and Charles and Max were duking it out, you know, George was still hanging in with them and obviously not, you know, able to stay on their tails, but not really falling into the pit that kind of the rest of the, the rest of the field was. Yeah. I think he made the smart move too, like of when Max got up on him, not fighting it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we look back at Spain when they had that great battle back and forth when their cars were a little closer and it's a little tougher track to pass on. You don't have those long straights uh, other than the one to, to really make a move on. But we saw him on that long straight just give it up to him. And I think that was a smart move to for his own race of, you know, finishing the podium. Like, this isn't my flight. Like, I'm not on the pace of Charles and Max today. Like, let me just lock in this P3 spot. And, like, it's kind of a lonely race for him. Then from there, he kind of didn't really have any challengers and just – you know, went along his way. Yeah. And, you know, we had signs coming through the field and Max coming through the field. And we saw that kind of a lot, a lot of drivers, you know, understanding that they're not going to be able to put up too much of a fight. And we saw that with Max being able to get up into fourth place after, you know, a really good start. It was only a couple laps and he was up fighting for the win again. And uh, just, you know, he was on another level again this weekend. Yeah, he looked great. It was, again, that, that Red Bull car is, is suiting him so well. And, He's just really fine, like really locked in with it and in the zone. And he just looks in the rate, you know, in quality, I feel like Ferrari are still there and can still make that challenge. And even this weekend, Ferrari looked better in quality. And I, again, I know Max took the penalty, but they did, you know, he was a valid P2 on the track and Claire got the pole. But over the race distance, they, no one's been matching the pace of that Red Bull. Yeah, agreed. And then behind them, we had Daniel Ricciardo, who, Ended up kind of holding up the rest of the field, a little bit yeah. of a bottleneck and uh, a pretty big DRS train and kind of that middle first stint. Uh, and then we saw Perez pit with a very interesting, you know, smoke, fire coming out of his break and a lot of question marks around if he was going to continue and actually ended up working out. He was able to carry on and then able to overcut a lot of that midfield behind Ricardo. Yeah, it actually, I, you know, he goes under the hards on lap, I don't know, seven or eight. It was pretty early. And had there not been the safety cars, I think they were intending for him to go the rest of the race on the hearts. But he ended up overcutting it, which I thought when he dropped on a 20th and then his brake starts, running, I thought, oh, he's done. Like, yeah. he's going to be slow. He's not going to make his way through the field now. Like, it's going to be interesting to see, like, who does this bump up? Like, who capitalizes on this now in the midfield, like, in terms of getting that last point? But it worked out good. And then uh, I think a lot of the analysts and stuff, and I was surprised, too, when the pit stop window did come for those medium runners and the soft runners that went longer, like, he was ahead of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, so, it was yeah. pretty impressive to see that he was able to kind of find that pace on the hards. Yeah, because it, it, I, I know a lot of people all weekend that was was pushing the one stop, and, uh, you know, I felt like, and you know, the softs had really good pace, and, they you know, Max made them last a while. Claire, like, they made them all – it seemed like the day was pretty well on the track, and so, you know, a lot of arguments could be made that, like, oh, we could have just done softs and mediums only and not even had the hard, but uh, Perez made it work for sure. Yeah, and, and speaking of tire strategy, another, you know, call into Ferrari when Vettel ended up pulling off with that ERS issue, uh, you know, an unfortunate retirement from him. Yeah. Um, just hasn't had the best of luck, and obviously Aston Martin didn't have 
any luck this weekend, but ended up, you know, kind of giving Leclerc, who was in the lead of the race at that point, a, a little bit of a question to determine if he wanted to come into the pits, you know, a literal question over the radio, you know, do you want to come in question? Yeah. But uh, ended up coming in for, for some mediums and kind of the debate between if he was going to try the one stop with a really long stint or if they were going to commit to a two stop was uh, kind of the main topic after that pit stop, but eventually ended up having to come in for a second and, and trying to push to make that strategy work against Max, who was going for the one stop. A pretty interesting stint, though, to watch. You know, him and him and Max, he was starting to come back at Max, but Max was really still faster at that point, so it wasn't looking too promising for Charles. Yeah, I think Ferrari thought those sauce would die a lot quicker than they actually did, and so it makes sense on paper, right? You bring him in on the mediums, and I think they're pretty much committing to, like, all right, we're going to do him medium stint and another medium or a medium and a soft to end this race. And it, it, on paper, it makes sense that you would think he would, when he came in, like be able to make up a lot of time on max. And then yeah. you're just hoping like, all right, we're going to pit him again and he'll just be fast enough and be able to make up the time. But max kind of kept even pace with them for a decent amount of laps. And so, you know, I know he gained, he was up, I think, I don't know, four or five seconds when he came into the pits, mm-hmm. lost that time of the safety car. And I'm, I think when max ultimately ended up pitting, Leclerc was 10 seconds ahead, so yeah, it gained him 10 seconds, but if you're going to have to pit again, that's not going to be enough to over overcome that when you're losing 24 seconds in the pit lane. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe they were hoping for another safety car, a virtual safety car, which, uh, you know, they got just a little bit a little bit too late yeah. to make that strategy really work, but, uh, you know, he almost had another issue, that the team coming on his radio and telling him to short shift out of the kind of main corners, and he was really fighting back because he needed that grip to get out and get those good runs on those long straights and uh, kind of a worrying time for him and all Ferrari fans alike. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people had the same thinking of like, Oh, here we go again. Like another Ferrari engine failure. He's going to get no point out of this race and Max is going to get another 25 and we're going to, you know, have to hear about, Oh, like why does this problem keep happening to Ferrari? But uh, it was able to, whatever the issue was, was able to sort through it and finish the race. So, yeah, one team that wasn't able to sort through their issues was uh, Alpine and Fernando Alonso, who came on the radio in their you know stint, and he said, uh, I think we have an issue with the engine, can you check? And they came back on the radio and said, it looks good from our end, to which he replied, wow. Yeah, that was so so Alonso, so funny. Like, it, it, like I told you earlier, it reminded me of that clip of him driving the McLaren when he, it was, the engine was so bad and he said GP2 engine on the radio over and over again. Like, mm-hmm. clearly something was wrong. I don't – he did look – I mean, he's stuck in that DRS train just because anybody could have stuck in that DRS train. But then as soon as that – those guys ahead pit and he was on his own, yeah. Norris passed him, and then I thought, oh, they'll stick together and kind of go back and forth here. No, Norris put like a three-, four-second gap on him in a couple laps. So there was definitely some issue with the car. And he knew it, and I don't know how they didn't see it on their end. And then, yeah, a few laps later, later, he retires. Yeah, there was a lot of excitement because, you know, I know we've talked about this a lot, is that they kind of race in separate spaces of, you know, pace during race pace. Yeah. where, you know, Norris is a little bit further ahead, and then the Alpines seem to just take up that space behind in 7th, 8th, you know, or 8th and ninth, and, you know, hoping to see a little bit more direct of a battle. But, yeah, couldn't fight through that issue and ended up having to retire. Shortly after that, we saw Max pit and kind of begin that chase back to Leclerc, like we talked about earlier, having that kind of 10-second gap and seeing what they were going to do after that. And obviously looked like he had a lot more pace than Charles was. Yeah, I mean, he just looked quicker the whole race. And I think 
even when we got on, yeah, in that, in that second pit, he ended up cl- closing the gap on him right away. I know Claire was ahead 10 seconds at that point, but it was pretty much a second a lap that Max was catching up, and then uh, Claire also ended I think Claire actually pit before Max even got up to him mm-hmm. uh, to make the move, but either way, there's no, you, you know, by the time Ferrari was able to pit Leclerc, with the amount of laps left, he just wasn't going to be able to make that pace up, and Max' pace was just so consistent. He just didn't lose any time, like, even when the tires started to degrade, like, he still kept a consistent pace the whole time. Yeah, and I think a lot of people were kind of questioning the strategy of of Ferrari again. But, you know, personal opinion is that I think Max was just a little too fast for them this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned earlier when we were talking, I think the decision to go for a more aggressive strategy is something that I kind of admire and I think was, was probably the right call. Yeah, you have to try something different, right? So... You know, it reminded me a little bit of, and it, it didn't work out the same as it did last year, as it did for Merck, but it reminded me of, well, both times last year when, in Spain, when, you know, Merck decided to pit Lewis twice because Max was ahead and had the pace, and it worked out for him. And then last year in France when, you know, flipped and Red Bull, you know, pitted Max twice and Lewis pitted once, and, you know, Max ended up catching him. So, you know, I, they've had that past precedence of, like, all right, this could work, and on paper, like we talked about, it, it could have worked, and... Yeah. Either way, it's something you have. You have to do something different, right? Like, you're not gonna. They knew on track, even though Max started seventh and Leclerc started in first. Like, they were not gonna have the pace, and I think they figured that out pretty quickly that they were not gonna have the pace to hold him back. So, like, why yeah. not try something different than he's gonna do? Yeah, I think it was a good call, and Max, you know, just obviously way too quick, and you know, you can't knock Ferrari for having that strategy. I think another strategy that was pretty interesting to hear and, and kind of think about it was the McLaren strategy. They yeah. came on the radio to Daniel Ricardo while he was leading the uh, DRS train and told him to back him up another half a second to a second. And, you know, that's, that's kind of a second that he's taking that's keeping him in the lead of that DRS train. So it was interesting to hear that they wanted him to back him back it off. And uh, that would have opened up the, the space for uh, Norris to have a good pit window and come out ahead of that kind of grouping of cars there, which kind of didn't matter anyway because Norris had uh, kind of mad pit stop and ended up having to fight anyway. Yeah, so I actually, uh, and this is, it's going to sound a little biased because I'm a Norris fan, but I love the strategy. I think it is a smart move, especially when it's, you're like in a case where you're in a team and you have a guy like Norris who's battling for the best of the rest. If it's, you have a guy on your team that's fighting for something, whether it's the driver championship or in McLaren's case, all they have left to fight for is like, can we have the the next, uh, getting rid of the top three teams, can we have the best of the rest driver, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a really smart move to, all right, we're going to have Ricardo back off. And had they not had the slow pit stop, Norris comes out in front of him and maybe he finishes P5 in the race. I don't know if he holds out to Hamilton or not, but it gives him the opportunity to, to maximize his points. And especially on a day like today when you had, at this point, Alonso retired, yeah. and then you had Ocon nowhere to be found. On you know He just didn't have the pace today capitalizing as many points as you can and putting that gap to a point for Norris where it's unreachable for someone to get, you know, those points to make up in the last few races to get that best of the rest, you know, crown or whatever. Like, I, I think it's a very smart move. Yeah, the hard part about that call for me was that, you know, Daniel Ricciardo is having arguably his best race of the season. That's you know, true. He's just looking on form, able to match Norris, and they're asking him to, you know, basically back out of it. You're, yeah. you're going too fast. You know, it's yeah. just, it's just kind of a weird call to think about. And especially with a driver that's leaving at the end of the season, do they obey team orders? I know we've talked about this a little more with Alpine and yeah. Alonzo. And I think Ricardo has a little bit more respect for the team than, 
the former, but oh, for sure. definitely an interesting call from them. And, uh, you know, I guess it worked out in the end with Norris able to get back past them all. And, yeah, just kind of an interesting team dynamic that was, you know, played out in the middle of the race there. I agree. I think Ricardo, just because of the type of person he is, though, and, like, I, I know it didn't end how he wanted to with McLaren, but it seems to be on better terms, obviously, than the way Alonso went out. Yeah. And I think he's just the type of person that, like, he's trying to just have fun these last few races. Like, he knows the team's probably going to prioritize Norris for these things, especially because Norris is going to be coming back next year. Mm-hmm. And it's in that fight, like I said, for that best of the rest driver. So and I think Ricardo's looking at it like, hey, you know, I could get P7 today. Or I could get, I could slow everyone down, drop one position to my teammate, but both of us could get big points for the team, and like I could still be in the points. So like, I guess it is one way looking at it. But I see what you're saying, where it is his best race, he's performing well. Like, why tell him to back off? I guess, you know, I got to bring up a sacrifice that he made last year was holding off Norris for the win. So maybe, yeah. maybe a little bit of, of uh, paying it back, paying it forward. Yeah, I, I think you could say that too, because at the end of at the end of last year, or at the end of last year, the end of that race, Norris did catch up to him mm-hmm. and got within a second, and basically came on the radio like, "I'm faster," and they were like, "We know you are, but like, we don't want to risk having you try to pass Ricardo." And like, something happened. We want this one too. So yeah, you could argue that it was payback for that last year, but yeah, honestly, just good to see McLaren having a good race. I feel like yeah. it's been a little while since they've both been up there in the points. Definitely a while since they've both been up there in the points. But even the fact that they were up, you know mid top 10 and really duking it out for some good points all especially with alpine not being able to capitalize yeah i agree then another person that was in the points today and probably you know driver of the day probably the one that everyone was most excited about being in the points is nick devries so he did for being called in so late he didn't i thought an amazing job absolutely um he didn't really make up any places you know he just lost one place in the race but he held his own he was able to stick in that DRS train, and then I think the biggest thing is that he was able to ha- hold off Zoe the way he did. Obviously, Zoe, it's his first year in F1, too, but he's been racing for a while now. You know, that Alfa Romeo is quicker than the Williams car uh, on paper, or right or thereabouts. Um, and so you thought, oh, Zoe's going to get by him, and all these people are going to get by him, but he held his own and kept that position. And, you know, finishing in P9 in your first ever race when you find out an hour and a half for qualifying they're even going to be in the car and it's a different car than you did in practice, like, that is a very big accomplishment. In a Williams, on a debut, it was an outstanding performance. Yeah. And I think, like you mentioned, you know, he was in that DRS train and really able to take advantage of both the DRS and the slipstream effect and just the slipperiness of that Williams. He was able oh, to, yeah. to kind of capitalize and just stay in that and keep Joe out of it and uh, a couple of really good defensive moves from him, so... Uh, you know, we'll talk about him in a little bit and kind of excited to see where he, his future takes him. Uh, all this time, you know, we have signs roaring up through the grid, having some really nice overtakes. Uh, we have Stroll end up pitting, you know, going to the pits and, and taking the DNF. Uh, and then eventually we have Daniel Ricardo losing the engine and pulling off to the side of the road, uh, which triggers a safety car and a whole lot of drama after that. Yeah, that was, I think, kind of where everything kicked off. So, at that point, we had, you know, Max in first, Charles in second, Russell in third, uh, I believe Simon's in fourth at that time, and then you actually had Hamilton in fifth, Norris sixth, and Perez seventh, and that's where I think it we it would have settled had that not happened. Like, it seemed like everybody kind of locked in there, and um, I know everybody seemed to be, like, in that 
three through seven spot, like five seconds between each other with six laps to go. So probably not any passes happening at that point. Safety car happens, six laps to go, and you have Russell Sainz, Max and Norris all take the free stops, um, thinking, okay, Ricardo's, Ricardo's car wasn't damaged or anything. Uh, it just engine died. They'll be able to get this off in a lap or two and wheel it off the track and get three laps of racing in. But uh, as we all saw, and for those who didn't watch, they could not get Ricardo's car to move. No matter what the marshals did, they could not get it to move. So they had to bring the crane out mm-hmm. and crane it off. And then I think people you know, started to creep in that, oh, this is probably going to end in a safety car. Uh, so it actually worked out. I mean, it didn't do anything for the top five. It worked out for Perez because he didn't pit, and Norris just pit and lost the spot to him. And then they finished under the safety car. But, you know, I know you have some thoughts on it too, but anyway, on the safety car, uh, a lot of flashbacks to the final race last year. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously a lot of flashbacks, obviously a lot of, you know, talk after the race about, well, what the right call was, uh, obviously, I think this is the right call. I think that's been proven after the kind of uh, investigation into last year that this is, you know, the safest way to go about it. And uh, we were talking earlier about, you know, what Will Buxton was talking about and potentially implementing a rule where, you know, nobody wants to see the end of a race under a safety car. And so is there an opportunity to, to throw the red flag and maybe get some more racing laps in kind of a more fair environment. Yeah. Maybe even, you know, stripping away the opportunity to, to put on new tires or fresh tires or, you know, whatever you want to think about, but maybe, maybe there's a way to capitalize on the opportunity of of a few more laps and kind of the, yeah, the opportunity of some more entertainment for the sport. Uh, but definitely, you know, glad that it happened this way and not how it happened in Abu Dhabi last year. You know, it would have been nice to see, Charles on some fresh softs uh, coming at back at Max, but you know it is what it is, and it was safety first, and I think it ended pretty fairly. And also, you know the the latter end of the points, eight, nine, ten, Gasly, DeVries, and Joe, I think all very much earned those points and would have been yeah. kind of under threat from Ocon behind them, Mick even uh, on some fresher tires from behind them. So you know I'm glad to see it finish how it did, and and all those guys get kind of deserving points yeah i agree i you know i have pretty strong thoughts about all of it i think that like you said under the current rules the way it is like this is how it should have finished this is the most fair way like that's how the rules are and it's this is how it should have been last year like you said and this is and if you look at like you said the one through ten finishers in their order like they all kind of earned their spots there it wasn't like anyone kind of got you know chipped out of it or got a a bad result because of this Mm -hmm. or unlucky but I, you know, I do think, yeah, the solution is probably like, all right, in the last 10 laps of the race, if there's a safety car, anything that would bring a safety car out or even a virtual safety car, anything that would bring up some kind of yellow flag, right, that would cause the race to be yellow flagged, let's red flag it. But instead of letting people change the tires, we'll just do a, uh, you can even do a, you can even do a rolling start, but I think just throwing it back on the grid and, and doing it from there, whether that's, whether it's rolling start or doing it on the grid, either way, but having a where all the drivers just come in you get it cleaned up and then you can still have in this case four or five laps of action at the end or everybody's brought together under the same circumstances that would be a safety car i think that's the ideal thing but yeah like you said the it ending this way with the rules the way they are like that is the most fair way to do it yeah um although i did think about when this happened how funny it would have been if they would have had the safety car like it was because not all the cars unlapped themselves the queue was not all caught up. This field was so spread out because it was weird. The The safety car took forever to get out on track. 
Yeah, that was um, interesting. Which was really weird. But it would have been funny because they did have, like, the first four or five drivers, like, in order. Mm-hmm. Um, and after that, it was kind of chaos. If they – and Leclerc's on, you know, fresh tires there. Like, if they did or, like, yeah, like, let's go ahead and race for one lap and then Leclerc won. Like, it would have been kind of funny just because of how like, last year ended. But it did end in the most fair way and, like – at the same time, like, would it have been funny if that happened? Yes, but, like, Max deserved to win that race. Like, he was the best driver all race, and, like, that's why people are comparing it to last year because it's the same thing that happened in last year's race. Yeah, and I think it'd be tough to get all the drivers, the team bosses in to even talk about this. I think there's yeah. been so many differing opinions. I think it'd be good, you know, to have a a plan in place so that you're not catching all the heat that you are right now because either way you're going to catch heat. So if you come out and kind of declare, hey – if we get a safety car in the last, you know, five, 10 laps, this is what we're going to do. And I think, you know, right now it's, we're going to be safe about what we're doing and we're going to keep the safety car out there until it's safe to race again. I think that's fair. But after having broken that, I think you need to establish that again in some form or fashion. So we'll see what they do. We'll see if they decide to, you know, if the FIA decide to comment on that at all, or if it's a talking point for, you know, this, summer break 2.0 that's yeah. coming up but uh definitely i think something that needs to be addressed i agree i think it's you know one final thought on that is like you said i think it would be i think the fia needs just need to step in themselves and make a decision mm-hmm. um because you know they already admitted right we had the whole court case and everything that like it was an error that was made last year and like it should have been done this way so just come out and if you're making a rule make make a new rule the problem is is you're never gonna, like you said you're never gonna get total agreement with all the teams and the bosses together um, particularly once you're never going to get Red Bull to agree to it, in my opinion, because by virtue of them agreeing, I know that that's wouldn't statistically go in like that, but by Horner and all them agreeing to it, they're basically agreeing like, oh yeah, we won this title in a fraudulent way or in a cheap way last year. And they're never going to admit that, nor sh- should they have to. Like I wouldn't, if I was in their position, I would not admit that either. So like, it's, you're never going to get that total agreement. And that's why I think, you know, a third option or something where you're bringing out a red yeah. flag or, or something like that would be kind of the best route. Uh, just just kind of the to level the playing field, allow everybody yeah. to, to be in agreement after that and not having, you know, kind of this political history to deal with. But, yeah, interesting. And, you know, I think the drivers that deserved it ended up on top and uh, with some points. And, you know, running off of that, I think we should get into maybe our top drivers of the weekend. Yeah, so one driver who I guess – we say the top 10 deserve. There's one driver who deserve, did deserve to get in the points that I had in mind that didn't finish in the points, and that's Daniel Ricardo. So, you know, he drove consistent all race. He was, like, going to be a, a lock for P8 regardless of what happened because of where the spacing was at the cars. He wasn't going to get passed by anybody, and, you know, with the safety car ending, would have finished there regardless. But, like, it's – or there wouldn't have been the safety car ending, obviously, because it was on him. But I he was my top pick this weekend for driver – the you know, top driver of the weekend – Great in qualifying, gets back into Q3, and then in the race, obviously was the head of that DRS train, but, you know, held his own there, did what he was supposed to do when McLaren asked him to hold back and still but kept enough pace to keep the other guys behind him still, even when he was doing that, and then was a lock for P8, which is, you know, P7, P8, with the way the cars are now, is that's the highest McLaren's going to get, so a great weekend for him. It's a shame that he couldn't finish the race. Yeah, it was, you know, it's interesting to think about. You know, he's still behind Norris. He still was falling backwards in comparison to Norris. Yeah. So it's interesting to think about, but a great rebound for him, you know, a lot better form than we've been seeing from him. 
And, you know, I think definitely deserving of points. Unfortunate that he wasn't able to hold on. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for my second drive ride, George Russell, um, I feel like one of us has him every single week, but it's he's just so consistent, right? So another top five finish. And again, for those of you that don't know at home, he, besides the Silverstone where he DNF'd on the first lap, he has finished in the top five every single race this season. The only driver to do that. Um, always been two, three, four, or five. Uh, he gets a seventh podium of the season. Um, again, he's that Merck just doesn't have the pace to competing, be competing for a win right now. But like, he's getting the most out of it, and he seems to be always finishing ahead of at least one one Red Bull and one Ferrari or two Ferraris or whatever it may be. He's maximizing the points, and you know another P three finish, and oh, it's a lonely race for him. And obviously had the help of Perez and Steins kind of starting a little further back, but. You know, they didn't catch up to him. Like, he had that, you know, it got down to a certain gap, but it was, I think, a double digit. It was at least 12 seconds between him and Signs for most of the race up until that safety car at the end. So, just a great overall weekend for him. You know, just a clean qualifying, started P2 because of how good he qualified, and then in the race, held his own and finished on the podium. Yeah, I think that's a really good call. You know, he had a, a great qualifying session, putting it up in the likes of, you know, Max and Charles and Signs, uh, and then able to bring it home in P3. Uh, just a, a really consistent guy, you know, able to capitalize and maximize all his opportunities. And I think that, you know, even Hamilton's able to do that. And he's actually one of my top three drivers of the weekend. I think he had an amazing race. He obviously played it smart in the beginning. And after a little bit of, you know, questionable damage off of the start, he, you know, played it safe, slowed down, just did it methodically and executed really. It was, you know, he had some brilliant overtakes to get through, uh, he went up against Alonzo and kind of winced when he was doing that, but able to get through and, you know, bring it home in fifth. I, I think that Mercedes, even though it doesn't have the pace to, to compete for wins and, you know, it, it flashes the potential to, they're still able to just maximize, capitalize and execute on any DNFs, any, you know, lower finishers, Perez's slower pace on occasion. And uh, it's really just awesome to see that that, that car and that team can continue to be so consistent after coming out of the gate so poorly. Yeah. It goes back to our discussion we've had before on, especially on our feature episode, like would Merck be in first if they had Ferrari's car? Mm -hmm. They're just so consistent. They're such a good team. They don't mess up strategy. They don't, you know, both their drivers always drive, just drive clean. Like you have, you know, they're always, they have the least DNS out of any team in the field. Like they're finishing races. Um, I mean, there's not much more you can ask and, I think the interesting thing would be like what I just thought of actually is you know we look back at these past couple of years and you know you always had that classic like Hamver Bot podium right like that that lineup where Bottas was kind of off of Hamilton a little bit he did his job and was a great teammate and still put in enough points to usually finish P two or P three in the drivers but now you have a guy like George who's right up there with Hamilton you know if next year they can get the car right like do we like what do we see between them two as a team dynamic, right? Because now you have two guys that are could be finishing one, two every race. You go back to like I said that 2016 season with Rosberg and Hamilton, mm-hmm. where they won 19 or 21 races or whatever. Like when you have two guys that are con- that consistent, it will be interesting to see like how does that dynamic play out? Because like Bottas always kind of played that teammate role, and there never really was an issue there. Yeah. Whereas like you have George always finishing the top five, and then you have Lewis who. You know, even today when he started in 19th, gets all the way up to 5th, which is probably the highest he was going to get based on the pace of the car. 
and maximized it. And who knows what would have happened if we had a little restart there at the end under that safety car, what could have played out. But I think it will be interesting to see, you know, for him and George, they've done so good all year and have really maximized that car. Like, if they can get a car under them next year or they can get it figured out in the last couple of races where they have a car that can win races, how how tight is it? And one thing that plays into that, I think, is the fact that Mercedes doesn't really favor a driver when they're not necessarily like performing better. We see a lot of times Red Bull is just blatantly favoring Max, even when Perez is kind of within reach in the Drivers' Championship. And we haven't seen that with Mercedes really at all. I know obviously they were favoring Hamilton, but he was clear away from Bottas in the driver's yeah. standings and uh, always just driving better, had a you know, better pace for the weekend. We really haven't seen that with George and Hamilton. We've had, you know, they they seem to be on different run plans a lot of times or, you know, one of them starting from a little bit further back, but we haven't seen kind of that direct fight between those two. And I think that'll be kind of a, a a place where that team dynamic will come into play yeah. and you know Toto and the team can kind of talk them down out of any aggression that other teams seem to have on occasion and, yeah and so it's really it really kind of comes down to just logic during the race you know a lot of fans obviously have favorite drivers and want a number one and number two driver in every team and I think Mercedes is a team that could potentially hold on to a one and two driver I think they could just because of you know, their strategy is seems to be on point always, and I think they, they kind of just play it with logic. Yeah, and, you know, Toto and the team has that experience of 2016, like how that played out. Yeah. They know what not to do and how not to play it. So I do agree. I think they could have a dynamic where if they have a race-winning car and they're one-twoing every race where it's just like we're going to let this, you know, if they get we're going to make a decision every race who's quicker and, like, that's the person we're going to prioritize and, like, keep it clean like that and – you know, the only time we saw it this year where they really interacted in what could have been a battle was in Hungary. But, you know, George didn't really fight it that much because Hamilton was on the fresher tires and was quicker. And so I feel like that's what like we could see is where each of them knows, like, all right, this guy's quicker than me today. Like, I'm not going to mess this up for the team. Let's just keep this clean. The other thing to think about is if you look down, you know, 1 to 22 out of all the racers that have driven this year, the two guys that you could trust to race wheel to wheel – cleanly safely and respectfully I, I think my top two picks might be George and Hamilton yeah I would agree with that I always I I, I think just in terms of them and you, like I said even if you pick from everybody if you just pick two even non-teammates for sure teammates it's yeah. them too yeah I think you even pick two non-teammates because you know I like they just don't you don't really see them make mistakes, but also you don't ever really have either of them, in my opinion, like have unfair racing, right? Where they're mm-hmm. going over the line, they're cutting people off the track, they're driving people off the track. Like you just don't really have that. If there is any incident, it's purely mistake, like where they're just messing it up. But yeah, that doesn't happen often. And like you said, I agree with that because they're both, in my opinion, just two clean drivers that want to do it the right way and like I think respect the sport enough to where like they're not gonna sabotage somebody else just for their own benefit yeah and we can look back to the incidents like you know George ramming Bottas last year and and we can look into last race with Hamilton turning in on Alonso but yeah you know both of those times the drivers were you know it's an incident it's a racing incident and both times the drivers come out of that and you know really acknowledge that it was their fault and understand that it was their fault and and it's really just an accident at the end of the day yeah you don't have like you know a couple ones that come to mind are like the 
Perez Okai incident in, in 2018 in Singapore where like mm-hmm. Perez just and even later in that race when Perez ran into I think it was Hartley or something I don't even remember but like just dr- driving recklessly like knew he didn't have a seat for next year so he's just driving over the top and like making moves he shouldn't make or uh another big one last year is you know at at Saudi Arabia into that turn one turn two turn three area the number of times where Max just basically drove Lewis into the wall on like the shortcut of the part and then ultimately getting ended up getting penalties for it and you just don't see either him or Hamilton Russell or Hamilton do that ever or even come close to doing that so yeah definitely an interesting thing to think about and you know hopefully we will start to see them in the mix for race wins and and really decide on you know if they can drive clean if they can hold two number one drivers or not but yeah you know something to get into yeah so uh, I'll go through my last one then before you get into your other two. But I had Pierre Gasly as my last driver of the weekend. Um, you know, started in P5 or P5 because of penalties and stuff. But he had a great qualifying and uh, you know had showed good pace in a car again that's just not that great this year. Uh, continues to kind of have that step above Sonoda, uh, if not be even with him, but be a step above. And then in the race, you know, expected him to fall back some, but he stayed in that DRS train. You know, they made that kind of longer stint on the tires work, which seemed to kind of be their move this year is to go a little longer on that end stint. But he made it work and finished in P8 in the points. And I I think for him, it's about getting back into the points like he was last year and getting consistent and kind of getting that going into next year. And obviously, we're a little unsettled on where he might end up. It could be Alpine. It could be Alphatore. But I think he's it's he's it's been good to see him be kind of back on form and kind of back to a little bit where he was last year. Yeah, it's good to see him and, you know, also Guan Yu Zhou getting points again and back up there, able to fight. Obviously, it was a little bit of a DRS train, so not much of a fight, but still Gasly was putting on some moves here and there, taking looks, and, uh, yeah, I think he had a really great race. Um, my my next two, I think, very hard to overlook. They were actually my first two picks off the board, and I went with DeVries and Signs. Obviously, DeVries had, you know, just – an outstanding debut, uh, points on his debut, a great race, out qualifying the teammate, out racing the teammate, uh, you know, putting on a really defensive drive with older tires, uh, just all around, you know, held on for, for P9 points, uh, just a great race, you know, really excited to see what he can do uh, with that Williams, he's, you know, outperforming the car like Albon does, uh, and you know, really excited to see where he goes. I know there's been a lot of talk about open seats, and I think he's starting to fight his way into that talk. Yeah, I think this weekend, going into this weekend, I think he was kind of an outside shot for the Williams seat at best, and that was it, was that one. I think he's really, from what we've read and what we've seen, and then just from obviously watching the race, I think he's inserted, inserted himself fully into the conversation of, like, could we try to freeze? So now, you know, he's being talked about for multiple teams. And I think you, this weekend was the biggest weekend of his career. You know, obviously F2 champion, Formula E champion, but this weekend was the one where he showed I can do this and I can score points on a team that should not be scoring points and can put up performances. You know, one thing I heard this weekend is that he doesn't have a management, you know, manager, yeah, a, a driver manager, an agent. And I think that's a really interesting just as it is in, you know, the paddock dynamic, that's got to be kind of difficult to do to wiggle yourself into different positions. And I guess impressive that he's been able to get in with Mercedes already, but you know, he has to do his driving on the track has to do his talking on the track. If he doesn't have a manager and, 
you know, he absolutely showed up and did that 100%. And, you know, if he's not at the top of the list, he absolutely shot up to, you know, top couple options for next year. In the mix for sure. I would say he's in the mix for sure. And then my last driver of the weekend was Carlos Sainz, who, you know, started P18, fought fought his way up to P4, had a really aggressive start, really awesome overtakes. Uh, He he was just looking super racy, uh, was just able to, you know, almost made Hamilton look silly that he was sitting so far back after, you know, 10 laps it was. And Sainz was just able to kind of cut through the field, show some great pace, even outpacing, you know, Max and Charles a little bit on occasion. And, uh, you know, really deserved that P4. He was looking racy, potentially catching up to George at the end as well. Yeah, it was a great weekend from him. Uh, Maximized what he could from starting P18 at the back of the grid. Um. Just showed great pace, like you said. I think he would have been right up there for Charles with, for P two had he not started at the back. And um, you know, I don't think those Ferraris had the pace in the race that that Red Bull did. But great battle! Like it was a it was fun watching him because he was able to fight through the field. He made a lot of moves. Um, he fought through the field really quickly too. Mm-hmm. It was just a lot of fun watching him this weekend. Yeah, it was, and really, you know, Ferrari is a, a team that we have down to to kind of highlight this weekend. I think. They had really good pace. Obviously, Max was able to outpace them in general, but still, you know, a fairly clean weekend. Uh, a couple of question marks on, you know, the first strategy with Charles, which I think played out fine, and then potentially not pitting signs at the end. But I think going for some new tires was was the right call, thinking that you could get a couple more racing laps. So, uh, really, a clean weekend from them. A good weekend, a good race weekend, especially at home. Uh, you know, what do you think about their race weekend? I think it's the best overall team performance they've had. I know they had a Signs and a Leclerc win in between now and then. I not not for the whole season. Okay. I think it's the best team performance they've had since Miami. Yeah. Or since before Miami. Agreed. So, obviously, you know, first race of the season they're one two and looking great and stuff. But this is you know we had Signs win in Silverstone, but they really bungled the Leclerc strategy that one. And then mm-hmm. in Austria we had Leclerc win but Sainz car caught on fire. Mm-hmm. So I think this is the first weekend since, you know, around the Miami time frame that we've had a complete weekend for Ferrari where you can look at it. And some may question the Leclerc two-stop, but I think most people look at their weekend like they maximize what they could get this weekend. You have Charles in P2 and Sainz at P4 after starting at the back of the grid. I think a great weekend for them. And I think, you know, they were more decisive this weekend, it seemed like, and yep. like they just made smarter calls, and they looked more like an actual competent racing team. Yeah, agreed. And then the other two teams we had down were McLaren and Mercedes. Mercedes, obviously, we talked about earlier, just able to capitalize and had uh, an overall great weekend. And then, you know, McLaren was was looking really good in some of the free practice sessions up there in the top, you know, six even. And, and yeah. we're hoping for we were hoping for a little bit more, to be honest. After penalties, third and fourth was really good. Uh, a bad start for Norris, but overall yeah. a decent race. And then a really unfortunate Ricardo DNF. But overall, I think they had a really great weekend, especially when you compare to the, the fourth-place battle that they have with Alpine right now. Yeah, I think getting some points back on Alpine and kind of closing that gap. And I think, you know, it, it could have just been track-specific, but they looked like the much better team this weekend on pace, on strategy, on whatever you want to say. And so I think just kind of getting themselves back into it because they were kind of falling falling off from that. But I think overall the weekend, you know, you've got to be satisfied with it. Um, you're, you're taking what should have been a double-point finish and gaining some ground on, on Alpine. 
yeah, I think a really good weekend from them. Really good weekend from the three of those teams. And, uh, you know, I guess let's move into maybe a team and driver that didn't do so well. One of your favorite new segments. Yeah, so again, like we talked about, we got the Latifi Performance of the Week this week for both driver and team. Um, so it was a unanimous vote on Driver of the Week, the third consecutive week that he's the unanimous champion as Latifi Performance of the Week. Your driver winner is Nicholas Latifi. Uh, started in P10 in the points. He has the penalties. Keep in mind his teammate, who found out an hour and a half for qualifying he was going to race in this car this weekend, started in P8. His teammate, who started in P8, finished in P9. Latifi, who started in P10, finished in P15. Uh, just no pace once again. This is probably, I think you could argue, just because of the situation with this, who his teammate was this weekend, maybe the toughest weekend of the year yep. to have a performance like this. But, I mean, it's really not much to say. It's Again, he just always falls. He did not finish last of the finishers. Magnuson somehow finished behind. But, again, it's it's this thing where no matter where he starts, he could start a lap ahead in P1, and he would still finish in 16th or lower. Like, there's – I just – I don't even know what to say anymore. He's hidden the last few years, it seems like, but behind the hype of George yes. Russell and, yes. and now Alexander Albon, and this weekend makes it so difficult to hide behind that. Couldn't because hide, yeah. A, a debut racer as your teammate, and you can't out-qualify, you can't even put in the race pace to keep up with him, let alone – you know even be close and so just a really embarrassing weekend and absolutely deserving of p1 in our latifi performance of the week yeah so congrats to three-time award winner now nicholas latifi only points he's had so only points he's had all year yes (laughs) um so for the team winner of this we both had a different one for this and so i think this is good um so I'll, i'll go first with mine um, and there's one reason that I picked this. Uh, well, two. One is that they didn't finish racing to get any points. So my pick is Aston Martin. Neither car finished. No points. I picked this team immediately in my head when I'm on Twitter and I see a tweet of a picture of the safety car going around the track on lap 51 or whatever. And it said, the only Aston Martin on track today. Yeah. And so, and that's what it felt like. The Aston Martins didn't have the pace anyways. They started 11th, 12th because all the penalties, but they qualified you know, going out in Q1, no pace in the race, and then both the cars just die. It was a comical weekend for Aston Martin. I feel like we keep hearing every weekend that they bring this wild new rear wing upgrade that nobody else has thought of, and it's gonna, that's going to be the new way of the future, and they are continuously, if not the slowest, right there at the back. And so I I had to pick them as my Latifi performance of the week this week. Yeah, I don't blame you for that. I think there was a lot of hype around them really early in the season, and yeah. they just haven't lived up to, to any of it, and obviously haven't lived up to any of it being you know two of the four DNFs this weekend. Yeah. Just a really tough race all around. Never really seemed to have much pace at all anyway, so uh, you know not too disappointing with two DNFs. But, uh, yeah, overall rough. I think it's going to be tough for Vettel to leave on – such low ground hopefully he can yeah put in at least another points finish in the next few races here uh like you said though i i i think i disagree with you there and and a couple reasons that stem from the latifi performance of the week and my pick here is gonna have to be williams and i think they're making a fool of themselves by continuing to say that latifi has a shot at staying in that seat even after the race this weekend. 
it's just a, a very tough look to have DeVries come in and after the race not just, you know, put the pen and paper down right right on the spot. Yeah. Okay. Right on the spot. Okay, so I love this take from you. This is I, I didn't know where you were going to go with this when you said you were picking Williams. Um, I thought you were just going to be like because the TV did so bad, but I love this take. So I totally agree with this where – it's such a bad look for them, right? You have, and, and you continue to have Yos Capito and the whole team say like, well, if he's consistent the rest of the year, he'll earn the spot. And then even after the race, you have them bungling the media after where you're like, there's just so many options for next year. We don't know. Yeah. You could have made it so easy. You could have been like, you know, NDV, he's in our driver program. He's He did so good in this race. He got us points. He got us points. He's got points in his first race ever with us. Yeah. You could have put the pen and paper down right there and signed him for Latifi and said, Latifi, you're done right then and there. Or worst case, they could have been like, we're still evaluating, but Nick did a great job of putting his name in there. He's definitely one of our top choices for next year. Yeah. And at least admit that, like, you're moving in a different direction. They totally backed off off that and just have been like, ah, I mean, Latifi still could be it. Like, we don't know. Like, it's just... It's comical. So they, I agree with that take. Yeah, they came out of this race just refusing to celebrate the fact that DeFries had a, a beautiful debut and points on his debut. You know, you can't expect a driver like that to help your team, and he helped your team more than your driver who's been there all season has. And and the fact that you aren't, at the very least, saying DeVries is now higher than Latifi in our list. Like, yeah. if this doesn't show you that that, has to be the case it's just a such a tough look from that that team as far as management goes I mean you can't continue to sit here you, you know four five six races ago before the before the summer break you should have gone away from Latifi not you know go away from Latifi obviously you can keep him in the team for the rest of the season but it's so hard to just continuously week in, week out, see Latifi put in these awful performances and still be committed to to him, e- even giving him the opportunity for next weekend and saying that over DeVries did a great weekend. I, I totally agree. I think this is the only one in the driver market too, are like, it's unanimous, right? Like you have people like, all right, for example, Mick, his seat's up in the air for next year. We don't know, but you could make an argument that he could deserve it still. He's just been unlucky with the car. You can make an argument that he doesn't deserve it because he hasn't been consistent. Like, there's still both sides of that argument, right? Like, there's, I feel like every other driver in the market, the FO, same with Sonoda. Like, you could make, you could make a case for him staying. You could, Latifi's the only one where her, there's no case to be made for him staying. And it's everybody in the community is in agreement, like, that he needs replaced. And so, like, that should be your telltale sign right there. If there's no controversy around it at all, like, that's a clear, like, opinion of everybody, but they still find a way to make it controversial. Other than, uh, you know, even a good majority of Gotifi fans acknowledge the fact that he has not had good performances this year. Yeah. And and, and I'm sure a chunk of them can acknowledge the fact that he probably does not deserve that seat, and there are far better drivers that can help the team more than Latifi can. Yeah. But I think the standalone person that is fighting for Latifi here is Yos Capito, and it's embarrassing to watch. Okay, yeah, I agree with that. I, I will say that he definitely is fighting for him. I don't I, – I, and it's it, it's terrible to say because I feel like that he, like, is just maybe fighting for him because of the whole pay driver thing. But, like, the company should have plenty of money. Like, you know, I could see that argument where if you're, like – I don't know, if you're if – you're, if you're Mike Crack, right, at Aston Martin and – someone's like what are your thoughts on like Lance Stroll like 
I mean, you can't be like, yeah, this dude's terrible. Cause like you're getting all the funding from his dad. Like it's just a totally different scenario. Whereas like this one, why I just want to know why Yost is fighting for him. Like what, what does Latifi have on Yost Capita that he's keeping in this? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's a really tough question. And, and hopefully we'll have an answer after this long break. And, uh, hopefully the driver market can kind of settle itself out and we'll have some, some more answers, but I'm hoping it's not the wrong ones. Yeah. So, um, you know, jumping into our predictions, I guess now after, after going through that, uh, again, congrats, Nicholas TV and congrats to a co-winner Aston Martin Williams this week, um, on winning with the performance of the week, but jumping into our predictions. So pre-quality. Um, I'll start with my two pre-quality ones. I had Norris in the top four after penalties, um, which I did correct, did get correct. There. He started in P3. I just thought, you know, you're going to have three or four penalties up front. He's always going to put it at P7 around there. That's going to sneak him into the top four. Uh, and then the other one I thought was just a hopeful one, and it's Vettel out of Q1. I thought, all right, he's we continue to make fun of him every week, which we'll, again, talk about later in the funny happenings, but we continue to make fun of him every week for – not making it out of Q1, I thought he's they, they brought this new rear wing here, like it's a fast track, like maybe he'll sneak his way out or something, you know, and this was, we had DeVries, and I know I was thinking DeVries would get out of Q1 too, but I thought, ah, maybe, you know, he'll have a slip up in his qualifying and like that, it'll be another place Vettel gets bumped up. Nah, I mean, Vettel wasn't even close to getting out, so that was a, that was a tough prediction. Yeah, definitely a rough one, but a, a good hit on Norris there. I went with Leclerc getting pole, which was spot on the head, and then also went with DeVries out of Q1 and out qualifying Latifi, which boom, boom, both on the head there. And, uh, you know, tough to get that one right, but, uh, you know, easy to easy to call for me especially. Yeah, you were very on top of the DeVries over Latifi predictions this weekend. He, You know, there was an announcement that DeVries was racing for Albon, and I think I saw that and immediately went to our text messages to send you my, my predictions yes. for this weekend. Yeah, I think that was the case. Um, all right, getting into the race predictions now. Uh, so for my finishing order, I had Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell, which finished Verstappen, Leclerc, Russell, so nailed that one. All done. Reason for that, you know, I just figured Leclerc and Russell would be able to have enough pace to finish at least 2-3. Uh, and I hate to break it to everyone on the podcast. I will predict Max to win every race for the rest of the season. I'm just, it's in, I, at this point, I try to be different during going up to this point, but unless he, unless they force him to start 15 laps down, I'm just going to predict him to win every single race of the season. Um, and then for my actual two predictions for the race, I had one safety car, which we did get, um, a safety car because Ricardo there at the end. And then I had Vettel in the points that was piggybacking off of my out of Q1. I thought, uh, he'll get out of Q1, penalties, he'll start top 10. He'll be to hold. He'll just get in the DRS train, hold it there, and finish like P9 or something. Car died in the race. So, so my Vettel predictions were tough this week, and I think I'm going to try to stray away from those. Uh, yeah, it's been a, tough one. been a tough one to call. I think Aston Martin's been a, a hard team to rely on. But uh, for my top three, I went with Leclerc, Max, and then George, which – you know, I was a little hopeful. I was trying to change it up a little bit. That's I, fair. I agree with you that Max has a good chance of, of winning out this season, but uh, a little bit of hope. I think the Ferraris had great pace in qualifying and throughout free practice sessions, so I was a little bit hopeful there, but didn't happen. Uh, glad George was able to hang on. I definitely kind of kind of knew that that was going to happen with a Norris Ricardo. You know, I figured a clog was going to happen there, and a DRS train was going to develop pretty quickly, so... Uh, a really good race from those three, and uh, you hit those right on the head, so well done with that. 
Uh, and then I went with Sainz top five, which he ended up in fourth and uh, just a really good race from him, able to slice through the field safely yeah. and, and make it up there, get some good points haul. And then DeVries points and puts Latifi to 21st in the championship. Yeah, this was as soon as – and you touched on it, and now that I'm thinking about it, as soon as they announced DeVries – as well, I was not going to make that prediction because I knew you were going to text me and say, well, TV's going to be 21st in the championship now. Had to, had to be fully in it after my qualifying prediction, yeah. and uh, I was, and it paid off, and DeVries absolutely wiped the floor with Latifi this weekend. Yeah, so now we have, uh, you know, for the kind of minor standing changes of the weekend, the biggest one was DeVries jumping from NA to 20th and Latifi moving from 20th to 21st in a 20-driver grid basically latifi is 21st only narrowly ahead of hulkenberg who only raced in two races yeah i mean devries outperforming hulkenberg as well in a in a lower car in the championship so you know good for him yeah so good predictions i'd say overall for both of us pretty pretty solid predictions this weekend a lot better than last week and i know we really had a rough time at zandvoort but yeah really um, good predictions uh, this week. definitely a better better set of predictions this week um and then i guess one other point before we yeah, I know you mentioned it, and it's just kind of wild to think about. And I've, we've discussed it, kind of ex- exhausted it now. But you said, you know, I, I could see Max winning out the rest of the races. If he wins, wins those out, that's 17 of 22 race, races won in a season. And two of me DNF'd. And so I know you're not going to like me saying this, but, like, winning 17 of 20 races you finish, that is insane. That I, is an insane stat. You know, I, I I could see it, and it you know I'm not gonna deny that that is a possibility. Yeah. However, there's a lot of street tracks coming up, and I think uh, Ferrari will be able to squeak at least one out. And I'm I agree. Still hopeful that Mercedes are gonna be able to squeak one out. So I I'm hopeful too. I'm just I'm just preparing you for the worst time. Yeah. I'm no. Just getting you ready for, I'm getting ready for a reality where we're watching Abu Dhabi. He crosses the finish line, and we hear that he has the most wins ever in a season, the most points ever in a season. Red Bull has the most points ever in a season. It's the biggest championship gap in a season. And I'm just preparing you for that moment when that happens. When we, we're, we're staying there at Abu Dhabi, he crosses. We see the fireworks, and you see a bunch of orange smoke, even in Abu Dhabi. And you see him doing hey, donuts uh, in, on the track. I'm just getting you ready for as that. As long as the safety car wasn't involved, I think that's, I'll, I'll that's, look through it. That's fair. I feel like the last race needs to be – something needs to be done to him to repay last year, but um, – Anyways, let's get into um, our paddock rumors and kind of the off-track notes from this past week. Um, so in terms of the kind of support series of F1, we had Drogovic winning F2 this weekend. Uh, pretty dominant fashion. He's, I think he's up by like 80, 90 points now, so it really wasn't close. He's had a great year. Um, I know, I've been able to tune into only a few races, but he's always near the top and only like putting in good performances. So like it's, I think it's good to see somebody – new coming out of that and i know out of that he was able to get the the aston martin kind of reserve driver driving program kind of locked in for next year which is good to see and then for f3 we had victor martin's winning yeah glad to see drogovic uh securing a, a kind of a position a role with the formula one paddock and uh you know we'll see him later on this season in a fp1 se- session i'm sure and uh good to see aston kind of starting to build their team i think you know, with the resources coming in that they're going to have and the new facilities that they're building and, you know, the kind of the support, the money that they have behind them. Uh, good to see that they're starting to build up, you know, a driver program, which it isn't, you know, they're not reaching too far for a driver no. program, keeping them pretty close anyway. But uh, glad to see that they're trying to start to build maybe more of a team that 
we could see being at the top of the yeah. top of the standing. So uh, good to see that, and hopefully Drogovic gets some op- opportunities uh, at the end of this year, and uh, potentially looking to get a seat next year or the year after. Uh, another kind of off-track note that we have is Albin getting really sick. Uh, appendicitis ended up having to get surgery, and then some post-surgery uh, complications with some of the anesthetics. So really tough to hear. Um, glad to hear that he was able to make it home the day after and, uh, you know, heading home has a good three weeks off to hopefully get back in the car. And, um, I'm sure he'll outperform Latifi when he gets back. Yeah. They, I know William sounds hopeful and kind of generally the diagnosis of it is that he would be back and ready to go by then, but we'll be interesting to see. Cause you know, Yosuke Peter talked about it. Like appendicitis is something where like, you can't really like come back when you're not fully back like you have to be 100 percent healed to be able to come back from that and compete in a sporting event so we'll be interesting to see um other kind of off the track news we had devries obviously getting his name into the mix heavily now i would say kind of like i touched on earlier i think he was kind of a fringe guy before but he's kind of more in those talks now after everyone saw what he could do and i think you're going to see more teams now start to reach out to him and him get more interest yeah let's let's go ahead and run through kind of the the open seats that we have for next season. And, and that'll kind of hit on the rest of our off-track notes with kind of our silly season lineup. Yeah. So maybe we start with the Alpine seat that is going to be open for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, some new talk about Colton Herda that they're interested in. Yeah. Uh, some other talk about some other drivers and still Gasly in the mix. Yeah, so, you know, kind of update on that for everybody. It was, it was looking like 99% Gasly, like he's basically got a pen on the paper already but just hasn't signed kind of backed off that and so in the meantime since then in the last couple of days we've had Colton Herter uh, emerge as a new favorite for that potentially uh pending if the FIA will kind of get that points issue sorted out for a super license uh another one we heard this weekend heavily or at least I saw all over Twitter was you know having Jack Duhon potentially take that seat I know he's had a great uh you know rookie year in F2 and that's he's already in the reserve driver program and they're definitely flaunting him a lot and then obviously that They've, you know, there's been some murmurs about Nick DeVries now, Mick Schumacher maybe, and then Gasly kind of being one of the other favorites that has been talked about for that seat. Yeah, it has been interesting. It feels like every weekend we go into the weekend hearing about a new driver and then coming out of the weekend hearing about a new driver yeah. for that Alpine seat. So really interesting to stay on top of. Very difficult to follow, though. And, uh, you know, this weekend we went in thinking Duhan was a lock, and now we're coming out thinking, you know, Herda and maybe – Mick Schumacher are kind of leading that race. So, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, if we move down, uh, Alfa Romeo have technically Joe's seat, which is yeah. rumored to be hopefully being announced soon. And yeah, uh, I think I'll be, I'll be pretty happy when that happens. Yeah. I think, I think Joe's pretty much a lock for that. I think he'll keep that based off his performance this year. He's done a good job. I don't really see who else they'd fill that with. And I think he's earned the ability to have that seat for another year and be evaluated again at the end of next year. Yeah, we've heard a lot of talk about Giovinazzi, and interestingly, it's been for a different team than than his former team, yeah. and uh, that's been Haas. So, you know, Mick Schumacher, I, I think, potentially deserves another seat, especially after his recent performances, being able to out, outperform Magnussen, really. You know, I think he deserves another opportunity, and maybe that's just not with Haas. Yeah, I don't – it seems to be fading more and more by – by the day where he's going to lose that seat. And yeah. we're seeing people like Hulkenberg potentially arise as a favorite Giovinazzi. Like, you know, there's still that wild card of could Ricardo maybe get it even there's, there's been a lot of, there's been more and more talk of Mick not getting it and more and more talk of 
and being like he needs to earn it, basically. Mm-hmm. So it'd be interesting what happens with that, you know. And does Mick, if he gets an offer from like Alpine, like I think you have to take that because you're moving up in in terms of quality of team. So yeah. I think it'll be interesting how that shakes out. I think the Haas seat is kind of one of those ones too that's pretty pretty wide open. I don't think there's any real clear direction. I know Hulkenberg's been the heavy name mentioned lately, but again, it's it's been thrown around with a lot of different names. It's it kind of seems like internally they know where they want to go, uh, yeah, and they're not really giving that off at all. It's kind of like Williams, you yeah. Know, they've been talking a lot about hopefully keeping Latifi, and if Latifi's able to do that, obviously you've heard us talk earlier. We don't think that should or or will happen. No, and, and the leading names there are Logan Sargent, which would be awesome. Yeah, uh, and maybe Holkenberg or Mick Schumacher. Yeah, it, it, we've. I feel like Mick Schumacher is a candidate for every open spot on the grid. Yeah. Um, and I mean, even uh, except for AlphaTauri, maybe, where we could have Sonoda open spot, we could have Gasly open spot, we could have both be open seats next year. Yeah. Um, at this point, it seemed like it was like Sonoda, it was going to be like, uh, you know, Colton Herta and like somebody else. But you could argue now that the AlphaTauri one is the most wide open seat or seats in the in the field. Like we don't. I feel like we never heard anything about Sonoda. We've just heard, you know, Helmut Marco be like, we're not sure yet. He needs to, we need to evaluate him more. And then we don't know if Gas is going to leave. So there could be no seats open. There could be both seats open there next year. And that's the only team where you could have either of those options, I feel like. Yeah, it does seem like that Sonoda seat, you know, they're leaning towards Sonoda a little bit. It, yeah. You know, Helmut Marco's come out and supported him and said some, maybe gone a little bit too far with his support of Sonoda compared to maybe his performances, especially yeah. in relation to Gasly. So, you know, I think that one will, will, will lean towards Sonoda. One interesting thing is that, you know, Daniel Ricciardo kind of left the talk of the paddock. I think he was, you know, almost a front runner for that Alpine seat yeah. for a little while, and, and they kind of decided against that. And I don't think he's really eyed up Haas or Williams as a potential seat. And No. So it kind of sounds like he's going to end up at that Mercedes reserve role. Yeah, that Mercedes reserve role is looking more and more promising. And it kind of makes sense when you think about it, right? Like I know he's not going to want to be in a reserve driver role, but – um, you know, getting with a, a good team like Mercedes and kind of it's almost like getting your career maybe back on track and maybe you know, I think Toto does a great job of like he did it with Ocon a couple years ago of like getting his guys that have been F one before into a seat and um it could be kind of similar. I don't I don't I don't know. It's like you're getting into a program that you know is strong, he's gonna get some good F P one sessions in. If for some reason he needs to fill in, he's gonna have a good car to fill in for, like and just having that Mercedes name associated with you, it's kind of like in, uh, you know, what happens in college football where you have these guys that get fired at coaching jobs. They just go coach with Nick Saban at Alabama and then get a new coaching job somewhere else. It's like the Saban effect, but it's, it's like the Mercedes effect, I feel like. Yeah. Could happen with Ricardo too. And it's also a way for him to stay in the sport, to not be totally out of it um, and be on a team that's successful. It's going to treat him well, like all that stuff. So, yeah, it definitely sounds like he wants to stay in the sport. I think it'll be really hard for him to, to keep, to get back into the sport after spending a year on the sideline, yeah. especially with how much competition. I mean, this year there's been so many names thrown around. It's really, you know, kind of impressive with how much, uh, opportunity there's been yeah. and, and how many people are getting a really good look to fill seats next year. One of the biggest points that I think Ricardo, you know, for me, for Ricardo being that reserve driver, is that he will have the opportunity to do pre and post race shows, which would be absolutely. Oh yes, that's a great brilliant. point. That's a really good point. Yeah, because he would 
they would probably have him do most of them. Absolutely. Because I know this year there's been a somewhat of a mix, but you really had, up until DeVries started to get some more runs here, you really had DeVries and Fittipaldi kind of split those two. Piastri did, like, mostly. the whole first half of And the Piastri did some, too. Like, But if they have Ricardo in the paddock, like, I- I'm sorry to all those rear drivers out there, like, you're going to get no air time. They're going to have this dude, front, as they should on TV. Exactly. Like, I would watch... I'd be glued. I would even if I didn't already have it. I would pay eighty bucks a year for F one TV just to watch the pre and post race interviews with Daniel Ricciardo. They they could raise the price with Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, they could as, raise the price as as one of their sub leads. Yeah, you know, in there with Will Buxton, I think that'd be uh, just a great show. Yeah, to and watch. even like yeah, it would just be awesome. Like having him having him and Will Buxton like you know interviewing drivers and stuff. That would be unbelievable. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Can't wait to see if that happens. Uh, you know, would obviously prefer to see him in a seat, I think, uh, yeah, for, for, for sure. now. But uh, with the driver market, it's not looking too promising. And, you know, hopefully that'll start to settle down over the next three weeks. But for now, we'll jump into some funny happenings. And, uh, you know, we've gone into this a little bit, but safety car flashbacks to Abu Dhabi last year. And I don't know if it's really funny. It, it kind of was a little scary. It's tough. Yeah. So. Obviously, me and you have let the people know our thoughts on last year and how it ended. And even coming from me as someone that, like, I I had no rooting interest one or the other last year at the time of watching it, of like, oh, this is who I would like to win this this race or win the title. Uh, it, it was tough to watch, though, and, like, I think Twitter felt a similar way, too. But there were a lot of funny things on Twitter, right? Like, I told you about the one. Like, my favorite one is the one where it's, like, the dog with, like, the Vietnam War happening in the background, and it's, like they had Lewis's face over the dog and they're like all you know the safety car is going to finish out the race like hearing that or even last week at Zandvoort when you had when they said the lap cars are now allowed to overtake uh and you had Will Buxton coming on and be like yes everyone everyone or all the lap cars will be able to overtake this time like anything that anything at the end of the race with the safety car now is going to for the next probably five years at least bring back memories of then 2021 yeah it'll be kind of tough to see if safety cars become a, a kind of recurring theme for those last 10, 10 yeah. laps or so. But. Yeah. Cause every time they do it correctly, it hurts a little more. Yeah. Um, second funny happening we had was the Ferrari this weekend. I mean, the car actually didn't look bad with a little bit of yellow on it, but uh, the suits they picked were all yellow. They just looked like minions or DHL truck drivers. Not that there's anything wrong with DHL truck drivers, but the outfit didn't look like a racing outfit. Like it just was, it was so yellow, and it was so much yellow that, like, I get what they were going for. is like, oh, we're trying to celebrate the tradition, but, like, you could have mixed a little red, a little black in there, like a little white, but they just said, no, we're going to make this as yellow as possible. Yeah, I think, you know, there was so many comparisons to, like, Leclerc and the banana suit or yeah. different things like that, but I think for the car itself, I've heard a lot of talk about, you know, just commit to the yellow, and I think it would have looked a lot better. Oh, yeah, or go all – it felt on the car like, like they half did it, like – yeah, I wanted to see the whole. Like, if you're gonna do the yellow suit, make the whole car yellow. It kind of just re- bring kinda, it all the way out. Yeah, kind of reminded me of the Mission Winnow green that they had last year. Yes. It was just kind of a, a little like extra touch to bring attention to it when it really, you know, they really could have gone full full beans on that yeah. and, and had a really good looking car. Exactly. And then to round out our funny happenings, just the Vettel Q1 radio message. It's my favorite part of every week now. Yeah, it's a pretty consistent theme, isn't it? Yeah, every single week. For those of you that don't, you know or miss qualifying or don't watch qualifying the you know always at the end of q1 they always show Vettel's radio because i think they know it's coming every week yeah 
And it's always his engineer coming on and being like, we're P17, we're P18, whatever. And Vettel acting like he just lost the world championship on the last lap of the race. And every week being so stunned that that Aston Martin that has been so bad at qualifying all year is not easily into Q2. It's the funniest thing. And every week he gets more and more angry and more and more upset, even though he knows what the result's going to be every single time. Yeah, you really do got to feel for him, though, especially after... You know, announcing his retirement, it's kind of got to be tough every weekend going in and, and going out in Q1. Yeah, it's it's been worse. It just gets worse every weekend, and it gets funnier and funnier. But I will continue to laugh at it every time because, like, you know it's coming. As soon as he crosses the line at the end of Q1 and they, like, it concludes, they always go right to Vettel right away. And it's yeah. that exact same reaction every time because they know that he's going to react like that. Yeah, I'm sure that'll happen next race. and. You know, we got a couple questions to look forward to. The first being, will Max win again? Does the driver market finalize itself? Does Aston Martin finish the race? Will Latifi gain any positions? Will Latifi stay 21st in a 20-driver competition? Does Max wrap up the championship? All this and more after Summer Break 2.0 at Singapore. We'll have all the answers. Goodbye.